Hey everyone, welcome to Finance Bites. This is a student-run podcast, and my name is Sachir. My name is Vipul. My name is Ayush. With this podcast, we hope to take you through stories in investing in finance from both the past and the present, and walk through invaluable topics in personal finance for students, which you can take advantage of now and in the future as adults. With that being said, let's jump into today's episode. So for this week's stock pick, we're taking a look at Robinhood. Many of you may have heard of Robinhood in the early 2021 with the GameStop controversy, where many retail investors were investing heavily in GameStop and driving the price up, causing a short squeeze, and many of the big investors lost their money, and Robinhood, being one of the trading platforms, halted the trading, and this hurt many of the retail investors. So. What exactly is Robinhood? Well, Robinhood is an online stock trading platform founded in 2015 and is used by many retail investors because of its easy to use mobile app and simple to understand charts. They're known for being the first brokerage to have zero commission trading of stocks. So what this means is that every time you buy or sell a share, you don't have to pay a fee to the brokerage for using their platform. In the past, some brokerages would charge upwards of $10 to make a trade This would eat up your profits, and this hurt many of the average investors that just wanted to make a few dollars and didn't have much money. Robinhood also offers cryptocurrency tradings, so you can trade many of the prominent cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin, and many more. And Robinhood has a lot to offer for the average investor, and has lowered the barrier to entry for these new investors with their commission-free trading platform and easy-to-use mobile app. With over 18 million current users and reaching nearly a billion dollars in revenue so far in 2021, Robinhood has decided to go public in IPO. So what is an IPO? It is when a private company initially offers shares to public investors, both institutional and retail or amateur investors. And what an IPO does is by offering shares, companies can obtain large amounts of capital since they sell those shares. And Companies usually IPO when they reach a valuation of $1 billion. Many times they don't even if they reach that point. But if you're going to IPO, usually you want to reach about a $1 billion in valuation. Before an IPO, the company has a relatively small number of shareholders, family and friends, venture capitalists, other professional investors, and exclusive clients of wealth management firms. However, there is a downside of going public, of going through this initial public offering. And that is that stock fluctuations when you're public may not be reflective of the actual numbers of the company, the actual growth and revenue, things like that, which means that it could be a distraction from management since investors care about stock and not actual growth. So the company could be aiming for one thing when in reality it has to focus on something else. And all of this can lead to less flexible companies that are just overall not able to grow and have as much revenue. So why has Robinhood stock been moving? So when they originally IPO'd on July 29th of 2021, they priced their stock at $38 per share. And originally, once they launched the shares to the market and retail investors could get into it, the stock price actually dropped a little bit to $33 per share. And then within a week of trading, the share price rocketed to a high of $70.39 per share. And this was due to the previously mentioned volatility of IPOs. And since that high that it really rapidly achieved, it's been on a steady decline as the stock begins to even out and find like its maintenance price. And at the time of this recording, Robinhood is at $42.64 per share. So now that we know how it's moving, what's next for Robinhood over the next few months and years? So 
Analysts at TipRanks have Robinhood at a moderate buy. So they've ranked it at a buy right now. And this is because the highest analyst projection is at $65 a share. And the lowest is at $45 a share. And these projections project the price of Robinhood stock after a year of the projection being made. And this averages out to a median $55 per share prediction with 28.99% upside. And Robinhood has a lot of work to do if they want to be successful. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the future with them. Our main topic for the day is looking at how to budget and save. So how do you manage your money? Budgeting is an estimation of revenue and expenses over a specified future period of time and is utilized by governments, businesses, and individuals. What all these fancy words mean is that a budget is a plan for how you'll use your money for some period of time, like a month maybe. But why do we even want to budget? See, it allows for efficient use of money. And what I mean by that is you can say, I'll say I'll spend $20,000 a month on groceries or whatever, which is frankly insane, but let's say you do that. Then you stick within that $20,000 amount and are able to make smart decisions about where to put those $20,000. You don't start spending like $30,000 on like caviar or something because that's above your budget and you won't have any food for the rest of the month. And budgeting allows for you to save more money because now you're giving clear boundaries for what you can spend on how much you can spend on it, which means more money would be left over for saving since it's less impulse buying and more actually intentional purchases. And if you save more, you got to keep more of your money. I mean, that's a great thing to do. You just have more money to use for whatever reason. And budgeting helps you plan for big things like retirement and other things like that and helps you make sure that you're not going to run out of money randomly in the middle of the year. Budgeting does not mean saving everything. It simply means spending a little less to make your life easier and just planning out how you're going to use your money. That's it. Most financial professionals recommend to save money, but that is not what budgeting is necessarily. All it is, is planning your expenses, planning your money usage. And there are many different types of ways you can budget. You could use budgeting software, or you could just rely on good old pencil and paper to track your expenses and how much you're going to spend on things. Now we talked about savings a little bit, but like what actually is savings? Savings is the amount of money left over after spending and other obligations are deducted from earnings. So it's money that's not put in investments or used by you to buy products. People save money for different things, houses, cars, tuition, a lot of other things as well. If they want to make big purchases, though, savings and investing are two different things. Investments are you when you make money by putting money at risk. So if you invest in the stock market, you might lose all the money you invest if that stock goes down. But savings when you just keep money to the side for future use. Like a common example that people used to do before they like used banks was literally just put money inside a mattress. So you just kept it aside for future use. You weren't using it. You weren't doing anything with it. It was just there for difficult times because what savings do is, is it allows you to ride out difficult times if you lose your job or have a high expense like medical expenses. And they also allow you to acquire high purchases that would usually be outside of your means because you'd be accumulating money over time. So now that we know what budgets and savings are, let's talk about how you can build a budget. So the most important part of any budget is to identify your expenses. So how much are you spending? 
First, you must determine what are your fixed monthly expenses. These are expenses that tend to remain the same from month to month and are considered important needs. So this can include your rent, your insurance, car payments, home mortgages, utilities, transportation, and so on. Then you have your discretionary spending or your fund spending. This is considered your wants. So this can include eating out at restaurants, going to the movies, buying the new iPhone, and so on. So these are purchases that do not happen regularly, but they're just for fun. So there are many different types of budgets to follow, but one of the most popular ones is the 50-30-20 rule. The goal of this rule is to keep your spending in check. The 50 in the rule means 50% of your after-tax income goes towards paying your essential bills. So these are the fixed monthly spending that I discussed earlier. The 30% means going towards your wants or leisure spending. And the last 20% goes towards your direct savings, investments, debt repayment to make sure you're financially stable. And lastly, I just wanna mention that the 50-30-20 rule is just a guideline and it might not work for everyone's situation. Some people may put more into savings and save a lot of money. Others may spend more, and this is totally up to you, but it's just a general rule that you may follow. So a really valuable tool for building a budget and saving effectively is a checking account. And a checking account is really nice in that it allows you everyday access to your funds and provides a really effective way to track your budget. And there's a ton of benefits to having a checking account. It's super convenient for starters. You get really easy access to cash whenever you need it. There's a ton of bank locations nearby. You can pay your bills electronically. You can even use and set up direct deposit to get your paychecks sent right to your account and you can track your spending really easily. Additionally, checking accounts are really secure. You get extra protection from theft and fraud. You get alerts about suspicious activity. And the really cool part is that checking accounts are federally insured for up to $250,000 per depositor, which means that if your money is subject to fraud or something like that, you are federally insured for up to $250,000 of that, which is really nice. And there's several types of checking accounts, and today we're going to go over three of them. So the first one is a personal checking account, which is mainly just used for everyday use and personal finance, as the name suggests. And secondly, we have business checking, which is basically a checking account, but for your business. And Business checking accounts are really nice because it helps keep your business's finances separate from your personal finances. And lastly, we're going to talk about a student checking account or a custodial checking account. These checking accounts are really easy to open, barely requires any bank history or credit. And due to this, sometimes a parent or guardian may need to open this account with you as a joint holder. But this is a really nice account for college students to have. Now that you know about all these types of checking accounts and how great they are, how do you open one? So for starters, you need your usual stuff. You need a form of government issued ID and something else such as a social security card or a birth certificate. Afterwards, you just have to complete an application, get approved, and then fund your account. And it's pretty much as easy as that. It's really nice. You can even fund your account automatically through direct deposit with your employer, and you can pay bills automatically. Lastly, you can even get alerts, like I said, that tell you about suspicious activity, and you can even set accounts on some banks to alert you when your balance dips below a specified amount. Now that you have all this money deposited into your checking account, how would you be able to make payments? So as the name of the checking account suggests, you can obviously make them by writing checks, and you can also 
make payments electronically by using a debit card or any mobile payment app or digital. Basically, checking accounts are a really valuable way to get started with building up savings and budgeting effectively. Now that we've talked about saving, let's talk about a specific savings account. This is called the emergency savings. So one reason to save money is to have a safety net in case something goes wrong. And that's where the emergency fund comes in. So the goal of the emergency fund is to have some money for unexpected bills or expenses, such as medical expenses, car and home repairs, unemployment, and rent utilities that may just arise all of a sudden. And so an emergency fund can be a helpful way to prevent yourself from getting into a poor financial situation. And the rule of thumb for emergency funds is keeping your funds in a safe investment, like a high yielding savings account, instead of the stock market that can fluctuate on a daily basis. And this account is only, and when I mean only, I really mean it, for emergencies, as the name says. Lastly, it's recommended that if you have multiple income sources, your emergency fund should be three months of your income. And if you rely on a single income source, your fund should be six months of your income. Now let's get into some additional tips and tricks that can help you save money along the way. The first tip is to identify your expenses by checking your credit card statements. These statements will list all of your expenses that you've spended in the month and can help you cut down on your unnecessary expenses, like that last minute Starbucks trip that you had last weekend. The second tip is to use an app to help track your spending. One popular app is Mint, spelled M-I-N-T, by Intuit. This is a great app that you can connect your credit card to and it can show you exactly where your spending is going to. It can also help you create financial goals, build a budget, and is very useful and I've seen my parents use it all the time. Lastly, just imagine this. If you make money and spend it immediately, the likelihood of building your net worth is very slim. However, it is better to build the habits of right now, regardless of what age you are, of saving and investing, and you'll be much better off in the future. Long-term is the goal. Now, budgeting, as you already know from this podcast, is an awesome thing. But there's even one more thing that is awesome at, which is allowing you to build your credit score. A credit score is essentially a number that showcases your payment history and your trustworthiness for paying back loans. So it informs people who would loan out money saying, is this person actually gonna pay back the money you give them? So if you pay credit card payments on time, you get a higher score. If you pay recurring fees on time, you get a higher score. And there are many other ways to get that higher score. But the benefit of budgeting for credit scores is that it reduces your reliance on credit since you have money to spend as opposed to utilizing a credit card. It helps you pay off debt through savings, which further helps your credit score. And having an increased trustworthiness means that you get better rates on loans, so you get lower interest loans, as well as are able to get loans for higher amounts of money. And all in all, it just means a way better experience borrowing money that costs less. So make sure you're building up your credit score. So while budgeting and saving, it's really important to build healthy financial habits in order to be financially sound. Almost half of Americans actually live paycheck to paycheck, causing them a ton of stress when it comes to paying bills and saving for their futures. And healthy financial habits are really vital towards being more confident and stress-free about your financial well-being. And you can tell that if you're financially fit based off of a variety of factors such as having disposable income to spend on your wants, having good credit, having an emergency savings account, even having a retirement savings account and the ability to pay bills comfortably and many more factors. And 
We have come up with eight habits that we feel are essential towards living a financially comfortable life. And we're going to go through them. The first step is living within your means. This means that your expenses should never be greater than your net income and you should always have money left over to save. The second step, which goes hand in hand with the first one, is spending wisely. You don't want to waste money on things that are well beyond your means and you should generally only spend money on things that are beneficial for you. Third, it is important to free up funds to cover expenses. It's always important to have liquid funds to pay bills. Fourth, you should always build an emergency savings stash. This can be used towards circumstances that you can't see coming, such as losing your job, medical bills, damaging your car, appliance repairs, and a variety of other things. Fifth, you should try to avoid too much debt. Not having much debt and keeping your liabilities low is important towards being financially sound. And the sixth step is to manage your existing debt. You should always try to pay off a little bit each month in order to keep your interest rates low and reduce your overall debt. Seventh, you should save for retirement. You can put your money in an account like a Roth IRA, which will continuously compound throughout the years and allow you to have untaxed funds available to use to enjoy retirement when you finally take out those. And lastly, we thought it was important to include that you should know when to get help. If you ever feel that you're in a position where you're not confident in your financial standing, it's really important to reach out to somebody and get the help that you need to get squared away and on the right path towards financial wellness. There's a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not meant as legitimate financial advice, and we are not financial experts, so please do your own research. And that's all, folks. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Finance Bites. Stay tuned for our next episodes, and we're your hosts, Vipul, Duchir, Ayush, signing off.